Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Hey, just a quick note before the show starts. I'm busy working on season two of the Healthy Gut Podcast, which will return in 2018. So until then, I'll be sharing some of my favorite and most popular shows with you until we return for season two. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Larry and Belinda Wern. It's absolutely wonderful to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I'd really like to start off with your own um, personal stories around how you uh, ended up developing Clear Passage because I think that the the story of how this came to be is just so interesting and and fascinating and I'd love for you to share that with the listeners of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Sure, and we'll get into a little bit how we got into the SIBO arena but, you know, my wife, I've, I've known Belinda since she was two months old. We grew up as, as buds all of our childhood, got separated and ran back into each other in our 30s. We're really getting ready to get married, uh, realized that we still loved each other as we did as children. When Belinda developed a cervical cancer, the treatment involved 40 external, it involved first surgery and then 40 external and 144 hours of internal radiation where they put radiation, radium, radioactive pellets inside of her at her cervix and put her in a lead-lined room said, it's dangerous for any of us to be in here for longer than five minutes, but it's okay, we'll keep you drugged. Um, and we're going <laughs> to cure that cancer. So they kind of hit it with a hammer. A year later... We were, they said, well, we've cured your cancer. And Belinda said, you know, yes, that's great, but I am in debilitating pain. I can't walk, move, or breathe without pain. What is this? What can you do about that? Oh, they said, that, that's adhesions. You get that after surgeries and um, after any sort of tissue trauma. We can't really do anything about that. You just have to learn to live with it. So that was not appropriate for us. Belinda's a summa cum laude, top for class graduate of uh, physical therapy, um, had been for about 20 years at that point, and we, um, we started studying uh, different methods trying to figure out how we could address and decrease adhesions without surgery, because as the doctors told us, any surgery is just going to create more adhesions and more pain. So that's how we started. 
What an interesting story. And, and I think, uh, you know, we were chatting um, before we started recording this episode just about how little information um, we're often provided uh, when it comes to having surgeries. And I've had multiple abdominal surgeries for various reasons, like having my appendix rupture and I've, ha- oh. I've got endometriosis. And I've oh. had multiple laparoscopies for that. And at no point has any surgeon or doctor or specialist for those conditions ever told me that those surgeries would create a risk of adhesions forming? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, adhesions are, is, they're basically internal scar tissue that forms as a normal part of the healing process after surgery, after trauma, such as car accidents or falling downstairs or infections or inflammatory conditions like endometriosis or Crohn's. You know, when you're cut open, you want that incision to heal closed and it's the adhesions that do that. But the way they form is like a spider web. They start sticking to anything and everything in the vicinity that can cause pain and different kinds of symptoms. And adhesions can be very strong. They can pull, I mean, they can have a strength of up to 140 kilos per square centimeters. So they're, they're incredibly strong and can cause significant amounts of pain and cause many different kinds of symptoms. And you're right. I mean, none of, none of my, my oncologists or surgeons ever mentioned that I might have adhesions after all that radiation therapy. So, um, the adhesions caused me to become a chronic pain patient and we started traveling all over the country getting treated by therapists that did different techniques that I'd read about because there was no internet in the mid 80s trying to figure out how to get out of chronic pain and um, you know the, the adhesions caused pain with intercourse abdominal and intestinal problems I developed SIBO also so um, yeah, I mean, they, they can cause significant abdominal and pelvic and intestinal problems and pain. And are there some surgeries that are um, a bigger risk than others? Um, well, all adhesions cause, cause all, all I mean, all surgeries cause adhesions. Um, laparoscopies uh, may, may cause fewer external um, scarring. But if you think about it, it's sort of like a roto-rooter. I mean, they have to, uh, you know, cut through all the layers of, of skin, of fascia, of connective tissue, of abdominal muscles to get into the organs. So um, all surgeries create adhesions. It's interesting. It's interesting, Rebecca, because they, in the U.S. they did a, a literature search of over 50 years of surgeries, including laparotomies, open surgeries, and laparoscopies, and did an assessment to find out how how much adhesions formed after surgery. And what they learned was that adhesions form between 55 and 100, after 55 to 100 percent of all abdominal and pelvic surgeries. And these were scientists that studied tens of thousands of surgeries so adhesions are the uh, surgery is the number one cause of small bowel obstruction that's when you get adhesions in your abdomen and by the way Belinda had a tremendous amount of pain but you don't always have pain but 
often often patients with significant adhesions will, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor does a CAT scan or an MRI or an X-ray and says, nope, there's nothing there. Yeah, maybe it's all in your head, you know, just learn to live with it or have a glass of wine. Meanwhile, these, these <laughs> bonds of 140 kilo, uh, kilos per square centimeter are squeezing your guts and squeezing your intestines. So, um, and, and pulling on you, they can pull up into your chest or down into your pelvis, into your uh, reproductive organs. And, um, and yet you go to the physician, it's quite frustrating. Gee, there's nothing there because adhesions don't show up on diagnostic tests. And that was going to be a question that I asked you, how do you discover if you actually have adhesions? And I think about my own journey with endometriosis and I had a period of time where I was in so much pain um, from my, well, what my specialist at the time said was perhaps some endo lesions um, that I, I couldn't have any sexual intercourse, but I couldn't even have a pap smear because I was in such excruciating pain that even to insert the, the device they used to, to give a woman a pap smear was like a hot red poker was being um, put inside of me. It was excruciating. And they would just often say, we can't see what's wrong. Are you sure? that there is really that much pain. And there was a lot of kind of accusation that it was psychosomatic, that I was imagining that I was in that much pain. And I'd say, do you think I would imagine this kind of pain? This is excruciating. Um, so, you know, I, was, I have experienced that myself where doctors said, well, we can't see anything, so we're not really sure that it's there. How does one discover that they do, in fact, have adhesions? Well, if, if anyone has ever had any kind of surgery um, or um, trauma, or infection, or uh, inflammatory conditions such as endometriosis. I mean, when you have endo, um, every, you have these implants on the different organs. So every month, when you have a period and you bleed vaginally, the you know you the endometrial implants also swell, which pulls on the organs they're attached to, which causes pain. And um, you know the endometri endometriosis very frequently, um, a, a, a frequent site of endometrial implants is between uh, the bladder and the uterus and between the uterus and the rectum, and uh, they can affect the cervix. So, of course, having uh, the speculum put in, if you have adhesions affecting your cervix, can cause excruciating pain when you, when you go to get your gynecological exam. And adhesion formation is the first step in the healing process after any uh, of the, the four or four or five major things. Um, so, you know, if anyone has had either a surgery or a trauma or infection or endo or Crohn's or, or, or radiation therapy, um, they definitely have adhesions because it's the first step in the healing process. Here, here's, an, here's another thing for you, Rebecca, and for your audience. The, the medical establishment is pretty good at diagnosing uh, medical, that is, disease and hormonal conditions. If you have pain or have dysfunction, gee, I'm, I'm bloating all the time or I'm, I'm having constipation or diarrhea and nobody's ever able to, to find anything, let's look back at your history and see, gee, have you had... Have you had any sort of a surgery? Have you had any sort of a trauma? Incidentally, we all kind of always look for surgeries and traumas and, and endometriosis. As adhesions frequently form at endometrial sites. They're like brother and sister. They're, they're together so much. 
but uh, one of the most adhered patients we ever had, and it happened, and we noticed just recently, when we started seeing SIBO patients, this was, well, maybe a couple of years ago, had never had any surgery, any trauma, anything like that, but she had been diagnosed with SIBO and had had SIBO for 13 years. So the SIBO, and she was so adhered, she was like you could, uh, her, her abdomen was so hard um, and, and tight for, with these adhesive bonds when we were palpating her. And we said, oh my God, we never really even realized, but SIBO itself can cause the inflammatory process that happens with SIBO. As Belinda said, adhesions form as the first step in the healing process. So you have inflammation, these tiny little bonds come rushing in to help surround the area so your body can start healing. Once you've healed, if you heal, those bonds remain and they remain with you for life. That's fascinating. And, and uh, given that so many of my listeners have SIBO, I'm, I'm sure that uh, they're listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> wow, this is, you know, this is answering some questions. Um, one of the things I was wondering um, is that can adhesions be picked up on things like MRI scans? Like, Can you do abdominal scans with, with imaging um, to determine whether they actually exist in you or not? No. I mean, all the, um, the adhesions are soft tissue, so they do not show up in any kind of radiologic diagnostic testing. Um, those tests show up solid things, you know, like fibroids or tumors uh, or cysts. So um, you can get all the expensive diagnostic testing done possible, but they will not show up adhesions. Here's, here's another part of that is adhesions are made of collagen, and collagen covers virtually every structural cell in the body. Every muscle, your, your, every cell and every organ in the body is covered with collagen, so those don't show up on diagnostic tests. They can imply adhesions if you have had a barium pass-through where, where you swallow this, this, uh, this material that shows up on x-rays, and they can see, oh yes, that, that barium comes through, and look here, it kind of stops. It looks like an hourglass here. There's a stricture. I'm going to assume that those are adhesions there. Um, certainly if they do it under general anesthesia, if they'll do something like that under general anesthesia, oh, that can't just be spasm, that must be adhesion. So uh, with women with hysterosalpingograms, when they have blocked fallopian tubes, um, they'll see the dye going through the tube. They won't see the actual adhesion itself, but the dye doesn't go through. So in that way, a physician may tell you, oh yeah, we can tell if there are adhesions by a test, but that's, that's, they can't actually see adhesions. So in the intestines, if you have adhesions that are narrowing your intestines or kinking them like a garden hose, and so that food's just not going through very easily. Or with SIBO, the area has been treated, it responds to antibiotics, but only temporarily, and then it the SIBO comes right back in a few days or a few weeks. We That's kind of how we got into it. The doctors at, uh, in Portland at the um, naturopathic college there said, well, I actually have kind of a fascinating case, but said, we think that when you're treating the adhesions, 
the antibiotics will work, whether they're pharmaceutical or natureceutical, because you free the adhesions, then we the patient can expel the last of that treated bacteria. Mm, that's interesting. And and um, you know, in terms of SIBO, one of the things that happens for people um, quite commonly is chronic constipation. And I'm wondering whether you see, uh, given that you've you've had one of the most adhered patients you've ever seen just recently, whose only uh, issue was that they had SIBO for 13 years. I'm wondering if something like chronic constipation or chronic diarrhea in itself could possibly cause adhesions. Well, it's more like the adhesions would be the contributors to the chronic constipation or diarrhea. They just, they, they, certainly you can understand mechanically how, how adhesions could cause constipation or contribute to constipation. Um, the, the diarrhea, we believe, with SIBO patients is still coming from, we surmise, is still coming from the bacteria but as we free the adhesions and those bacteria can be expelled, then we have a better chance of, of turning around and curing that SIBO. And mm. a lot of, in a lot of patients who have SIBO or constipation and they haven't had a surgery, um, we always dig deeper. It's like, okay, well, were you a cheerleader? Did you fall on, did you fall on your butt a lot you know, during sports and different activities? Did you slip and fall on ice? Did you snow ski and fall a lot? And almost always they figure, you know, oh yeah, I didn't even think that that might have been a problem because they didn't have to get treated for it. Fell off a bicycle or a horse or was kicked or... Yeah, or abuse. I mean, physical and sexual abuse are huge uh, causes of adhesions in the pelvic area. That's really interesting. And, and I think uh, most people at some point in their life will have fallen off something. It's almost part, it's part and parcel with childhood, isn't yeah. it? And, and, and doing any form of kind of recreational sport, you're generally getting bumped and, you know, falling over and, and uh, doing those kinds of things. So even something just as simple, well, what we would consider as, as simple and benign as, as coming off your bike, that could be a contributing uh, factor for um adhesions forming could it yeah absolutely yeah falling on your tailbone when you're roller skating or ice skating wow interesting and i I will we will dive into SIBO itself um but one of the other things i'm wondering is especially for people that are listening right now is there any way that you can feel or stretch or move to to get a sense as to whether you might be constricted are there particular movements you can do like if you try to touch your toes and you can't is that a sign of perhaps adhesions being in your abdominal area as, as far as touching your toes that that's not so much it as as trying to bend backwards or stand up straight if you try to stand up straight and you feel like oh something's always pulling me forward you're pretty sure to be adhered in your abdomen and that happens a lot with SIBO patients the other thing if you want to palpate yourself would be to lie down on a bed Bring your knees up so that you're taking the pull. Think of yourself as this three-dimensional sweater. If you bring your knees up, that takes the pressure off of your gut. And then let your hands sink in all along from under your ribs down to your belly button. Feel one side, feel the other side. Do they feel the same or does one feel like, you know, 
There's something harder here on the left. It feels like the texture of a head of broccoli, maybe, or, you know, and the other side, I sink right in, and you go all the way down. If you've had a laparoscopy, you may notice a little donut around your belly button where, oh, wow, that's really hard there. Any scars that you have or the top of, like the t top of an iceberg, you, you may notice scarring down there. So you're just really, for most of your gut, when you're relaxed and your knees are up, you should be able to sink right in. And if you can't, um, you're, you're, and you're on soft tissue, you're not on the bones, then, then that's an indication of, of wow, that, that place is probably adhered. So now put your knees down and say, does that hurt there? You know, so that so is that similar to a pain that I get? So as I said, not all SIBO patients get pain, but um, those are a few hints for you. Mm, yeah, that's great. And are there common symptoms that people feel when it comes to um, having adhesions? Generally, it's it's usually it's it's unexplained pain. If if they're going to have symptoms, it's going to be unexplained pain. I mean, a lot of we see a lot of women with totally blocked fallopian tubes, and we published several studies about opening blocked tubes um, that are in the National Library of Medicine here. Um, but in a lot of those patients, uh, the two, there's not many nerve endings at the end of your fallopian tube or the beginning. They don't have pain. But if you have pain or dysfunction, and you don't, and you're hearing from your doctor, there's nothing there. Or you're going, being sent from specialist to specialist and then being told, you know, I think maybe it's all in your head. You should see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Those would be, those would be, you've been checked out medically. You've been checked out for disease and for hormonal conditions. And they just can't find anything, but I've just got this ache here. You know, when I try to stretch my right side, it, it doesn't stretch. My left side stretches easily, but my right side doesn't. Th those kinds of things. Mm, yep, that's great. Great um, advice for people who are listening. Now, moving on to SIBO um, and the and the association with SIBO and adhesions, I'd, I'd love to talk about. And I think if we can start right at the start as to how SIBO and adhesions are interlinked, um, because I know with my own journey with SIBO, there was an enormous focus on my diet and the actual um, treatment, which I decided to go with the herbal um, antibiotic route rather than the pharmaceutical antibiotics. There was no discussion uh, at any point about adhesions, and I think that it's often quite a missing piece. So if we can talk about how adhesions and SIBO really often go hand in hand um, and why adhesions can be so problematic when it comes to the long-term successful treatment of SIBO. I guess I guess I'm going to take this one too, and then we'll give it back to Belinda. But it, I think a good example would be our first patient. You know, we knew very little, little to nothing about SIBO. We had seen long lines of of gastroenterologists when we were presenting at digestive conferences, listening to um, to people talk about SIBO, but we really did not know what it was. And then a a patient of Dr. Gervich came to us and. And um, she came to one of our clinics, and this patient is one for whom medications were working for a short period of time, and then they stopped working. In her case, this lady in her young 30s was down to 85 pounds, which I don't know how many kilos that is, 40 kilos uh, her weight was. 
and it happened that she came to one of our clinics, and after we for, after for our endo for for endometriosis, mm -hmm. I and see she had a resection. Uh huh. So she came for endometriosis and a bowel resection she had had. But at any rate, we weren't thinking anything about SIBO. We were treating her for that. She goes back to Dr. Gervich, and suddenly she starts gaining her weight back, and she went back to, up to a normal weight, 135 pounds. I'm not sure, again, what that would be, 50, 60 kilos. So um, it, it really saved her life, and, and um, the sort of the buzz got around the naturopath. We didn't know anything about SIBO, as I said, and buzz got around the naturopathic um, circles and Dr. Seebecker and, uh, called us and said, what did you do with this patient? And Dr. Sandberg Lewis came 3,000 miles, 3,500 miles, so um, about 5,000 kilometers to Florida to say, what did you do with this patient? Why is she getting so much better? And why is she getting better? What is it that you did? And we said, what's SIBO, you know? <laughs> so it was, a, it was really kind of a, a, a very neat coming together and I have to compliment the naturopaths they are so bright and so inquisitive and so at four in the afternoon instead of thinking about going out and having a round of golf they're thinking about what else can I do for my patients and so we got our uh, the chief of staff of our hospital here who is our uh, uh, medical director and our double PhD who's an expert in disease modeling and the between them and Dr. Sandberg-Lewis, they discussed it and decided, well, I think what happened was Dr. Gervitz was treating this patient, the, the meds were doing well, but, they, but the, they would knock down the bacteria, but the bacteria would come right back because adhesions in her intestines, and you have about seven meters of intestines, were preventing the bacteria from leaving the body. Once we treated, because we're just really mechanics in this, once we treated and decreased or eliminated her adhesions, then the, and she's still at a normal weight now, then the, uh, several, three, four years later, um, then the bacteria, the antibiotics could work and she could flush out those, uh, those proliferation of bacteria for, of the SIBO. And I hear from a lot of people every day I'm hearing from people and, and quite often I hear from the people that are really in a pretty poor state um, and they've often been on rounds and rounds and rounds of treatment for months if not years. Their food is becoming more and more restricted, they're losing weight or they're gaining quite a lot of weight. They're the people seem to fall into one of those two categories and they're at their wits end they're just thinking nobody nothing is working what do I do and I do wonder how much um, if there are any discussions happening with these patients about adhesions being potentially what's keeping them uh, quite sick uh, and I suspect that there aren't enough conversations uh, being had around this. So in, in a very basic term, and obviously the, the listeners don't have anything to look at when we describe this, can you describe how adhesions can form around the small intestine and thus um, either create SIBO or prevent it from being um, uh, reduced or, or actually repairing it completely? Okay, well, the, again, the adhesions form after surgery, trauma, infection, endometriosis, radiation, and um, you have to picture the body as being knit like a sweater. A lot of the adhesions are affecting the fascia, which is the body's connective tissue, 
And it, it, it's a continuous three-dimensional weave of collagen and elastin that runs from head to toe and front to back. So um, the way the adhesions form is sort of like a spider web. So just like when you kink a hose, it decreases how much water can come out. It doesn't take much crimping or, or kinking or twisting of any of the loops of the small intestine to prevent the bacterial overgrowth from being able to get out of the small intestine. Um, the adhesions can also cause partial or total bowel obstructions. So if you picture chewing up some chewing gum and sticking the chewing gum in your gut as you move around and do all your daily activities, and as the organs function, depending on what body system they're in, bits start sticking to you know, many different organs that can cause pain and different, you know, different kinds of symptoms, such as bloating, distension, uh, constipation, um, pain with intercourse, um, severe pain with periods. Um, they can cause you know, many, many different kinds of symptoms. And then uh, with the adhesions being present, then obviously that natural flow through the intestinal system, that motility, that movement with the waves um, passing through, pushing food along would be impaired, I would imagine, which is why the bacteria can then um, stay present and form in large numbers and develop SIBO. Yeah, absolutely. The, the adhesions... Um, not only affect mobility of the organs, but absolutely affect the motility. And I think mobility is actually quite an interesting one. And I remember, Larry, you talking about this at the um, SIBO Symposium last year around, uh, I think you talked about it actually, now I'm saying that, um, about the organs moving and uh, moving around with each other. And I'd never thought about my organs moving. I just, well, you see these images of your organs and you just think they're fixed but they're actually supposed to move around a bit aren't they all the organs in the abdomen and pelvis absolutely need to be free to slide and glide over and around each other as they function depending on what body system they're in but also as you do all your daily activities and when all these things get tethered and glued down um, it can cause all sorts of pain and, and and many different kinds of symptoms yeah, I remember being fascinated by that because I thought I have never thought about my organs moving around and, and needing the freedom to move around each other. It was it was really eye-opening for me. Um, can we talk a little bit about how your therapy works? And, and clearly you developed your therapy um, to, to support you, Belinda, with your very chronic pain. Um, but for anybody that's listening, you know, how does it work? What do you actually do? <laughs> Well, we'd love to film this under laparoscopy, but anybody we've suggested it to said, "Why would I get a laparoscopy if I'm gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna clear my adhesions? I don't need the surgery." So, um, we 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 know that that adhesions are composed of thousands of tiny strands of collagen, like the strands of a nylon rope, but very short little strands, microscopically short. When you have an injury or surgery, or certainly for you, when your appendix burst and infection got, um, and, and the contents of the intestines kind of leaked out into the interstitial spaces between your organs, but any anywhere that you have an invasion like that or tissue trauma, these tiny strands lay down on top of each other and they come in to lay down and attach to whatever they can attach to. They're not thinking, I'm going to be in the, in the, intestines or I'm going to be in the reproductive structure or I'm going to be on muscles. They're just forming to help surround the area 
um, to so that your white blood cells and your immune system can fight off the in, infection or the uh, it, just to start, as Belinda said, to start the process of healing. Um, once they have formed, they they stay there in the body. The body after seven to ten days, they're with you for life. There's really not a way that the body has to get rid of them. So it's kind of, so I'm, I'm going to get to the answer to your question, but it's kind of like the run in a sweater, if you will, where things used to be mobile and used to be moving easily and where the tissue got damaged. Scar tissue formed this internal scar tissue called adhesions made of thousands of little strands and they attach to each other and to, and to anything that's nearby. And, and that's what you're left with after you heal. We believe that what we are doing and our intent is to pull these strands apart from each other, strand by strand, little by little. Well, we're probably doing hundreds or thousands at a time, but there are tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in there. Um, there we know that the strands are very strong. We don't think we're actually breaking the little strands, but there is a molecular chemical bond that attaches each strand to the next one and the next one and then the underlying structure. So the intent of our manual therapy is to slowly and steadily uh, detach those bonds. That molecular chemical bond is the vulnerable point we feel like in adhesions and by doing the work that we do it's kind of like pulling out the run in a sweater in very slow motion. And so then when once you've kind of undone all of those strands from each other, are they then just little free strands still attached or are they um, breaking apart from the walls that they've attached themselves to? Uh, we don't have film of this, but it makes sense to us that if strands attach at the top and bottom of each strand, that the strand probably detaches at one end or the other. The end that is still attached, these are collagen fibers, and collagen covers, as I mentioned earlier, every single cell in the human body. So if there's still a strand that's attached to a cell of the bowel, but it can, it's just collagen, it can lay down on that cell just and become part of the collagen that's already covering that cell wall. The important part is that it's not attached to the next one and the next one and the next one. So we don't think they, they break at both sides at the same time and go kind of free in the body. They, they, as they detach, they just become part of the collagen that is the natural environment of every cell in the body. But the important part is they're not attached to the next and the next and the next. Just like, yeah. you, just like with a sweater, those strands don't go anywhere, but they detach from each other. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it does. And I've got this mental image of oh, these little strands flowing freely in the breeze <laughs> in the abdominal well, I think, area. I think they sort of blend with surrounding fibers, but but in a, they're they're mobile. Like if you picture the the fibers crossing each other, they're no longer stuck where the fibers cross. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey guys, do you feel completely overwhelmed when it comes to figuring out what you can eat that's suitable for a SIBO diet? I know that I felt so overwhelmed at the start of my SIBO journey. And let's be honest, eating for SIBO can be challenging. It can downright suck at points. You've already got so much going on. You've got your treatments. You're trying to remember to take all your medications and your supplements. And not to mention all of the daily symptoms that you have to experience. The pain, the bloating, the constipation or diarrhea or both. And the brain fog and exhaustion. The list just goes on. Having someone else take that hassle away from you for planning your food can make your day just that little bit easier. And this is where I've come to your rescue. I've developed SIBO meal plans just for you. They take all of the stress away from planning your SIBO daily food intake. They're based on the SIBO biphasic diet by Dr. Narala Jacoby, and each meal plan is just for the specific phase it relates to. So you may be on phase one restricted or phase one semi-restricted or phase two reduce and repair. And there is a meal plan just for you. We've got 14 days of SIBO-friendly meals and recipes included. There's weekly shopping lists. There's handy hints and tips to make cooking easier. And every recipe is 100% gluten-free. The recipes are low-grain. We only use a little bit of rice or quinoa in the recipes depending on what phase you're following, of course. All the recipes are low carbohydrate, very low dairy, low sugar, and there are low FODMAP options included. The great news is that you can download it instantly and you can get cooking today. If you'd like to know more about the SIBO meal plans, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO hyphen meal hyphen plans or head to the show notes from today's episode and just click on the link there. I hope you enjoy the meal plans, guys. I know it's going to save you so much time, energy and effort and help you be compliant to your SIBO diet as you go through your treatment. Now let's get back to the show. And given that these adhesions form because of some kind of either surgery or um, injury to the area, um, are they at risk of reforming? Well, we we have developed um, a home program and self-treatment techniques for patients to do to maintain the improvements that they gain during our treatment. Um, we, we know that the results of our work last Um, just from patient feedback over 27 or so years. Um, But the body doesn't form adhesions spontaneously. They would form new ones if they had another surgery, another trauma, another infection, or, you know, another um, infectious process. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The the self-treatment is an important part to to maintain, you know, to keep things as freely mobile as as we're able to uh, gain during our treatment. And how long does a treatment program generally take? Is there, a, is there an average length of time or is it really a case dependent on how bad the adhesions are? A, a little bit of each. Most of our studies are based on 20 hours of treatment. 
We start Monday morning and are done Friday afternoon, two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. If someone has had seven surgeries, a lot of trauma, um, they can take, it can go longer. We generally will tell patients um, see how that see how that works for you. You can always come back if you feel like we need you need to. We don't push them at any of that. We do give them a home program, the um, to so that they can maintain the gains that they've gotten. Um, so it's us usually a twenty hour program, but can be as as long as forty or fifty hours. Um, but again, we're not pushing anything. We're just patients feel like, oh, man, that really helped me, and I can really feel that I've still got some stuff going on. I'd like to come back. Let I want to touch on one thing that Belinda mentioned. When, as far as the, and when you asked, do adhesions reform? Generally speaking, they will not, re, they only form as a, as a response to, uh, to the, different conditions that Belinda talked about, surgery, trauma, inflammation, endometri endometriosis. We noticed that when we would open people's blocked fallopian, women's blocked fallopian tubes, that uh, those tubes would stay open for years, and women would have baby after baby after baby, six, seven years later, we only opened one tube, and she's still having, having children. That was great. When we first started treating bowel obstruction, which is a very serious, life-threatening condition in which the intestines are totally blocked with adhesions. And patients would come to us and say, you know, I've had seven, first one came to us said, I have had seven surgeries in the last, um, in the last three years, and now my last one was 12, 12 weeks ago, and they're planning my eighth surgery. Um, can, you, can you prevent these from, from happening? And, and we did. That was about nine years ago, we, she came in and we treated her, and she hasn't had a, a surgery in that area since. But we did notice that we kind of expected it to work like fallopian tubes, where we'd open them and they'd just be good to go. But where the fallopian tubes are 10 centimeters, or, yeah, 10 centimeters long, the intestines are 7 meters long. So we find that, yeah, we're great at clearing, at clearing adhesions in the bowel in most cases, but because of the huge amount of geography compared to the fallopian tubes, we do find that it's, it's important that we give patients something to go on and give them an education, teach them how to treat themselves at home. And then the home program's pretty easy. It's just been about 20 minutes an evening for, for about six months. And, lying on a ball or or, or using your own hands. And 20 minutes isn't, that's not uh, extreme at all. When you think about, uh, you know, we've got uh, maybe 16 hours of waking time during an average day, 20 minutes out of that isn't laborious. That's right. You can listen to your iPad or watch television or whatever. Well, you could be listening to this podcast. <laughs> what a good way to spend those 20 minutes. Absolutely. With um, with regards to actually breaking down these adhesions, I'm thinking that sounds like it could be really painful. When the actual um, manual treatment is happening, does it hurt when someone's being treated? Well, our, our pressures vary from pretty gentle to pretty firm. Uh, the patient is always uh, the boss. They're, they're in control at all times. We're 
constantly telling them what we're finding, what we're feeling, what we're thinking is going on, and asking for their feedback. If at any point any technique's getting to be too intense, all they have to do is ask the therapist to ease the pressure up till they say, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. So I can tell you working on scars is probably the most uncomfortable. It can feel like a burning, stretching, pinchy sensation. But again, the patient is, is totally in control at all times. And I'm guessing that it would also build up that you may not start at the most intense on the very first session. Um, and, I, and I know that, uh, and I, well, I wonder if with your um, patients that come through with SIBO, given that the majority of us have been chronically inflamed, chronically in pain, um, you know, I think that our pain thresholds are often, or we're, our pain sensitivity is pretty high because we're so pained all the time and I'm wondering whether um, with SIBO patients or those chronically in pain whether they need to kind of build up to it because they're already feeling really sore well no we, we as Belinda said we we stay within their tolerance level we'll say so zero to ten what does that feel like oh that's about a five okay how's that Okay, so so you just let me know if it's if you need me to lighten up, you know, just say, hey, Larry, you're hitting an eight there. Can you lighten up? Okay, that's a four. That's good for me. So um, we we can start on peripheries because when you think about the run in a sweater, you don't always go right to the center of the run. You may start at at a, a distal aspect of it at, at an area that's not so so adhered. I do find that more often than not, our patients are like. Just do it. Just do whatever you need <laughs> whatever to do. Just takes. get rid of this stuff, yeah. and um, which is really, I kind of wish they didn't, you know, because I'd like to stay um, a little bit, a little bit lighter. But um, but uh, so so we're we're super sensitive to um, to to what people are feeling, and and some even even a very very light touch can 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 be effective. Uh, but generally speaking, we're we're working through layers, and in, in, in a way, it's kind of like peeling over the course of a week, over the course of twenty hours of, of treatment or so. Y- you feel like, oh wow, it's like you're peeling off layers off of an onion in a way as you get deeper and deeper. And the deeper we go, the quicker things go because there's so much more geography that we're getting through in the beginning of a treatment week than toward the end of a treatment session or a treatment. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And now for people like myself who live in places where you guys aren't yet, hopefully one day you will you'll have a presence, how do people find a practitioner that can help them with it if they suspect that they have adhesions? What should people do? Um, you should look for, well, first of all, if you have a physiotherapist that has really great skills, send her to us. Maybe we can train her, especially if she's in a big city with folks come to um but um you can look for somebody with either myofascial release or visceral manipulation someone who works regularly with soft tissues um so and and i mean the visceral is very light which is in general which is probably good because we have six pages single space of contraindications things that, that we're looking at does, does this patient have cysts did she have cancer in the last 18 months did she have, i mean we just we're just looking because there's so many things that can happen in the abdomen it's really nice to have clearance from a physician 
that says, oh yeah, you can you can get some deep soft tissue work, but um, start start looking around. I've I've heard people talk about visceral manipulation. I think Allison Seebecker told me that she saw some good results from patients doing visceral. And uh, it's interesting, I, since learning about adhesions, I've spoken to a, any of my um, practitioners, uh, osteopaths, physiotherapists and all the rest. Uh, there aren't a lot of people, I've got to say, here in Australia that, that know much about it. I mean, they know the concept, but when I say, would you feel confident in treating me for adhesions, uh, generally the answer is, no, I'm not too sure about them. Um, and so I think, you know, that... Uh, Unfortunately, there's there's not always a great pool of people. And yes, I would love to be putting a whole bunch of people on a plane and coming and doing some training with you guys. <laughs> I'd love to get some more Australian therapists out uh, and out un, and training under you. Um, yeah, London would be the closest for you, I guess. London, London or Canterbury. Canterbury. Yeah. Well, it's actually closer for for us Aussies to jump on a plane to the states than it oh. is to the UK. Yeah, you, you're closer. <laughs> It seems strange, but um, it's 24 hours to fly to the UK and it's only 15 to get to the west coast of the of the US, so you're a little bit closer. Um, well, I was just going to say, we're really, we're, we're very picky with our therapists. Our therapists average 28 years experience, so we don't, we don't really hire or train any newbies because they, we need to know that they're going to be successful because we're treating, well, bowel obstructions are life-threatening. We're treating some very serious conditions so so um and and we do screen everybody really thoroughly um as far as their um um medical history and history of surgery and traumas and anything that they've got going on now and and we do those uh consults we don't charge for those consults if somebody thinks that they seriously may want to come see us and we don't push anybody into anything so but um it's 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 too bad, as you said, osteopaths. There, there are not a lot of people that are really working on adhesions. Um, yeah. No, there aren't, and it's and it's a shame. And I, I feel like I've kind of found this missing link in my own health journey. And you know, I've been since June of last year. I've been actively looking for somebody that can do some work on me here in Australia. And I'm having a lot of conversations. It's what I do now with with everything with the healthy gut. It's all about uh, education and sharing knowledge. And um, you know, it it does sadden me that uh, you know there's just not as many options here in Australia. But I'm hoping that will change in the very near future. What is a risk if somebody um, leaves an adhesion? Can things get worse if you just think, oh, I've had it for 10 years. What else? You know, it can't get any worse than it already is. Can it actually worsen? Can we get sicker from leaving our adhesions? Well, adhesions either stay the same or grow over the course of life. So um, the reason that they would grow if you have adhesions in your, in your abdomen is if you're every time you reach back, and you're stretching and you kind of feel that pull, it's creating a little bit of inflammation there and the body goes, oops, uh, Rebecca's got some inflammation there. Let me just send in some crosslinks, some little adhesive crosslinks to help to help um, start healing that area. So that's, I mean, really the, the greatest risk, I think, for, for your patients would be bowel obstructions, which are 
life-threatening. It's when it's when the bowels get squeezed so that no food goes through. And when that happens in the U.S., at least there's a, a, a lot of data on this. The average hospital stay is 14 days. They put in a, a tube th down through your nose into your stomach to pump out your stomach. They put intravenous Dilaudid or narcotics into your veins, and then they give you in intravenous hydration and um, IV fluids to keep you alive and hoping that it'll pass. If it passes, nothing has really changed. You still have those adhesions that may happen again, the physicians tell you. If it does not pass and they have to do surgery, um, they'll open you up pull out, and usually the, the traditional is to pull out all of the bowels. Let's find what's what's adhered. Ah, uh, there's the area that's necrotic, that's dying, or that's squeezed like an hourglass, a stricture. Let me just cut those two sides, throw away what's bad, rejoin the two sides that are left, hope to God that not a drop of what's inside the intestines drips out and is on the outside now of the bowel because now I'm going to put that bowel back in to this patient and about 18%, about one out of five patients return to the hospital within 30 days for another uh, surgery. Um, and the so now we've had that repaired and the doctor will say, well, here's your, here's my card. This is liable to happen again because surgery is well regarded in the literature as the number one cause of bowel obstruction. And we see patients that have had four, five, six of these and their doctor says, I, I'm, I just don't want to operate anymore on you because I can't even see when I'm going in there. It's so adhered. I'm afraid I might cut through something that I, you don't want me cutting through. And um, so that's that would be the most serious risk I would say of of um, of letting them go well plus with endometriosis every month when you have a period you form more adhesions you know from uh, the endometrial implants on the different organs that are swelling during the period pulling on the organs so the body lays down more adhesions to protect those organs so it's sort of a vicious Cycle. For somebody with endometriosis, um, do they then need to be on a very long-term kind of treatment plan given that every month uh, when they're having their cycle that their their body is uh, in effect causing more adhesions? Well, most I think with most of our endometriosis patients, I mean, however many years they've had endo, you know, in the 20 hours of treatment, we, we can free up as much as we can free up. And as long as they do their home program, we, we don't see that many of them back again. Um, some do, you know, you know, we do see many women with pretty severe stage four endo. So some of them do come back every few years um, for, for a few more days. Um, it, it just, it varies depending on their history and, you know, if they've had a bunch of surgeries and traumas as well. I was on a cycle for a period of time where I was um, having my laparoscopy surge surgeries every 12 months oh, wow. and the advice I was given by the specialist, um, this was when I was in living in the UK, was that expect to be on the operating table every year. Okay. Uh, and then once I started to address my diet and um, 
particularly when I addressed my SIBO, my endometriosis uh, changed considerably. It is virtually non-existent for me now, which is wonderful. Um, but But for people that are in that vicious cycle where they are booked in for surgeries to break down adhesions every one to two years, what would your advice be to them? Every time they have a surgery, they may cut or burn away a certain number of adhesions, but they're creating so many more new ones. I mean, they really need to get the adhesions addressed non-surgically if possible to break that cycle. And I think it can be quite a a vicious cycle because you think, well, the surgery needs to be done to break the adhesions, but then I'm sure for anyone listening that has now understood that the surgery is causing more adhesions that they might be thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) I've just been in this really nasty, vicious cycle for all these years and no wonder I'm so full of adhesions. That's right. And it's not that the doctors are mean or cruel. We're not exactly sure why they don't talk about adhesions that are going to form or that are liable to form and very liable to form other than they're thinking we don't, there's nothing else we can do. We don't want to scare the patients. The, the, the fact is that the most brilliant surgeon cannot help but have adhesions form because that's the first step in healing. It's the first step in healing from a trauma, and surgery is a, is a trauma where they're cutting through tissues and, and burning. And, and did, I asked, we had the chief of staff of the hospital as a surgeon for 35 years, and uh, he just got fascinated with us and was with us for a lot of that time, he said, and he said, um, I asked him what time, I said, Dr. King, do you think that possibly when we're treating, we're causing some inflammation, uh, that we could be causing more adhesions ourselves? And he said, Larry, he said, you know, I'm an excellent surgeon, I, and he really is, he's highly respected here. He said, and, and but when I go in, after I finish, it looks like a war zone, you know. I mean, there's cutting and there's burning and there's smoke and there's bleeding, and I have to stem the bleeding. Um, and where, when you when you're treating, it's 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 kind of like a picnic. That is the least traumatic thing I can imagine. And the fact that you have now published data, we've got about a dozen studies, actually about twenty, but somewhere between twelve and twenty, um, depending on what. Uh, what you're doing is is um, so much less less traumatic. He stayed with us for about thirty years just because he was so fascinated. But uh, I'm not sure if I wandered off or if I answered your question. <laughs> so, if uh, people um, want to find out more about you, or even to to learn where your um, centers, your treatment centers are, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Probably go to clearpassage.com. It's uh, our website. It's got a lot of information there, a lot of testimonials, information about how adhesions affect different conditions. There's a little tab where they can fill out and say, yeah, I'd like a phone call or I'd like an email. If they're, if they're thinking seriously that they may want to consider coming, uh, there is a comprehensive medical history form that may take them 30 or 40 minutes to complete where we ask all your medical history. How many, what surgeries have you had? What falls, what any abuse? It's, it's all um, 
quite HIPAA compliant, that is to say it's private, um, and in that case it gives us great information, then they can schedule a consultation, there's no charge for that, um, to discuss their case and we'll give them our best advice. So. Oh, that's great. And, uh, and I myself am thinking, how can I get myself to the US for, for a week to do this treatment? Because <laughs> just listening, listening to you talking today, I just, you know, I can't not be full of adhesions after all my surgeries and injuries and endometriosis. And I've literally got the, the gamut. So I, <laughs> I've my suspicions of having adhesions um, are even more suspicious now after talking to you both because I just think it would be an absolute miracle if I didn't have adhesions after what I've been through. Well, we would absolutely love to work with you. It'd be our great pleasure. And I yeah. to say that I, th- I think you're, a, you're probably quite accurate. I mean, how could you not if you're, yeah. once you have an, an appendectomy and you're appendix bursts and that stuff goes throughout your system and then the various surgeries that you've had not even thinking about traumas um you've healed so in the, yeah. wherever you've healed it's created those little straight jackets in some people they can get those straight jackets in places where they just don't even bother them and they're fine but if you have a persistent SIBO if you have pain if you have certainly if, if you have endometriosis it's a great thing to do somebody with a history like yours yeah i'm sorry to say i would be quite accurate my dear lady (laughs) i think you'd be a very good candidate for the work that we do I think I would be. I think I would be. And, and even just thinking about, you know, I remember having falls as ki- as a kid. I've I've come off my bike. I have I I ski. So the number of times I've fallen on the slopes and sometimes quite badly winded myself. Um, yeah. I, I'm literally. I have been going through everything, thinking that could have caused an adhesion. That could have caused an adhesion. The surgery, uh, everything. It's um. It's been quite eye-opening and I'm sure it has been for my guests as well. So uh, Larry and Belinda Wern, I would just love to thank you so much for taking some time out of your very busy schedules to come on to the Healthy Gut podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure and for the people that are listening, I have the link to your website in the show notes so that they can uh, connect with you guys very easily. But thank you once again. It's just been a joy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having us. You're lovely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to see the show notes from today's episode or get any of the links that were mentioned in the show, simply head to thehealthygut.co and there you will get all of the show notes. Now, I love hearing your feedback, so don't forget to leave a rating and review in iTunes or the app you use to listen to this podcast. And if you think that this episode might have been useful for someone you know, such as a friend or family member, simply share it with them and uh, let me know what they think. You can drop me an email at info at thehealthygut.co and also come across to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest and Google+. We're everywhere and just look for us under The Healthy Gut. You've been listening to The Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about The Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. 
And as we are fully funding this podcast, if you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast so that we can continue to bring you future episodes, all you need to do is make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. 